my page. Um, good evening. We'll have two different passages tonight if you want to read along or if you're online and want to grab a Bible as well. Um, the first passage is going to be from the Gospel of John, and it's 1 John chapter, uh, verses 14 uh, through 18. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, who surpasses me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses' grace, and the truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is the Father's side, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And the second reading comes from the book of James, again, chapter 1, starting in verse 19. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do as it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Oh, I didn't know they told me to take it back. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Kia ora koutou. <laughs> In the year after our second child was born, I felt strangely disconnected from my body. My body and limbs felt different in ways that were really hard to put into words. They were still mine, but they were changed. And what's more, I changed. Um, I, I thought and felt differently about things that I thought I'd previously understood. And I remember on more than one occasion looking in the mirror and wondering, who even is that person staring back at me? Are they still me? More recently, I've had to come to terms with more change as my body begins to age in ways that are physically apparent. I no longer have grey hairs, I have grey hair. 
my eyesight has deteriorated to the point where I don't just need reading glasses. I, I have glasses all the time. Um, I can't read clothing labels or food labels, <laughs> which is kind of important. Um, the temptation to contemplate um, physical changes and shifts as some kind of measure of my internal worth is a, is a hard thing not to fall prey to. In her book Embracing the Body, Tara Owens notes that a sense of disconnection connection between our thinking self and our physical body is actually quite common for people. Most people struggle on some level with the knowledge that inadequacies that they perceive in their physical body don't match what they know or consider themselves to be in their mind. We can find ourselves thinking of me or I, this core self, as somehow separate from our physical bodies. Our body that walks and sweats and talks and farts and burps and breathes. Owens goes on to say this. When I'm lost in thought at a coffee shop, unaware of the mug of tea in my hands, or when I'm caught in a good book, so disconnected from, my, from the physical object in my hands that my husband needs to literally take it off me in order to get my attention. Those are the times when I'm fragmented, gone astray, and in need of being found by the one who is bringing every part of us together into a whole. The whole is me, the me as I was originally designed, envisioned in the eyes of God. It's also the whole of a part, a functioning, vital part of the body of Christ. The larger whole needs me to be whole in order for the entire body to function, to be complete and healthy. The body of Christ needs to be me to be integrated with my body so that we may experience redemption together, not just as individuals, but as a people, a colony of heaven here on earth. From the beginning of the story of creation in Genesis through to Revelation's conclusion, we find a picture of God who is present, God who is active and is concerned for matter. God exhales and life sprouts into being. Much of creation is created out of nothingness, but for humanity, God chooses matter, reaching deep into the soil, breathing life into the dirt. God is concerned for and present in creation. There is a technique that's used in creating mosaics, and also in textiles, particularly in knitting, um, called intarsia, where each thread is distinct but intertwined to create a picture, a picture of communion. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's a process where distinct blocks of colour are brought together to create a pattern, a whole picture. In the beginning, all of creation was in perfect intarsia, each thread distinct but intertwined. A picture of communion between God, one another, with the created world. But quickly, those relationships became broken 
tangled, knotted, and fragmented. Jesus came into the mess and the muck, fully embodied God in human flesh, not just wearing flesh, but fully integrated. Jesus remained totally God while fully embodying human physicality. He sweated, ate, drank, bled, cried. He also experienced the full range of human emotions, sadness, joy, disappointment, betrayal, anger, a perfect intarsia. The story of scripture is a story of God who longs for creation to return to that perfect intarsia. Jesus came to us fully integrated that we might be restored to wholeness in ourselves, with God, with creation, with one another. But as we've been exploring these last two few weeks, people are very complex and relationships are complicated. And despite our best, best efforts, we often find ourselves at odds with one another. We fall over and crash into one another. In the book of James, we find a picture of a community that is at war with itself. Those who should be perfectly entwined become tangled in a knot. Groups within the community were competing with one another for power and authority. A chasm had opened up between poor and rich Christians, leading to increasing tensions and threats of possible violence from those who felt backed into a corner. The advice to the divided community is this. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Get rid of malice that has taken root in your hearts and instead welcome with humility the seeds of truth that Christ has planted in you. One of the fastest ways to alienate others is to stop listening, to allow our, allow our own hurt and anger to become so entangled around our hearts that we can no longer hear anything but the sound of our own voice. Um, I was joking to Dave Pittman just prior to church starting that I became an object lesson for my own sermon this evening. Um, I, I am someone who does not find it easy to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So I speak on this um, not as someone who is in the know, but someone who is practicing um, and learning and very much a work in progress. <laughs> Listening matters, but it matters even before we get into a disagreement with someone. David Augsburger, a theologian who writes on pastoral care and relational conflict, says... Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is being loved. 
In the Gospels, we see countless examples of Jesus choosing to slow down and listen, even when others around him were very eager to keep moving along. Jesus was consistently physically and emotionally present with those he came into contact with. Listening is essential to being deeply present with one another. When we don't choose to listen, we can fall into the trap of writing our own internal dialogue about what's happening. It's another thing we've been talking about over the last few weeks. When James encourages the community to be quick to listen, the words he uses communicate a sense of urgency. One commentator suggests that we should read his words as, hurry up and listen. When we don't hear one another, things can go sour really fast. And the quicker we stop and listen, the better. When I was working toward my undergraduate degree in theology, I spent a lot of time in libraries, um, which is not really ironic, but um, my husband is a librarian, so I still spend a bit of time in libraries. Um, One particular afternoon, I was studying late, and I had organized for my then boyfriend, Jacob, um, to come and pick me up on his way home from work. And it was before the days of cell phones, so I wasn't able to, he wasn't able to text me and say, I'm here, <laughs> pack up and come out. Um, so he had to come in and find me in the library. So um, he arrived and he came in to look for me. And when he found me, he looked really agitated. And I could tell that something was wrong. So I asked him, what's up? The librarian's following me. They think I'm going to steal something. Uh, well, they, they do have problems with people coming in and scoping the place out and swiping stuff that students have left on their desk. Nah, it's because I'm brown. Now, I did have the good sense in this moment to shut up at that point, at that point, <laughs> and keep my thoughts to myself. But even though I didn't say it out loud, I still had an internal dialogue going on. And I had a whole host of explanations, justifications, reasons why his belief was incorrect. I was listening, but I wasn't really hearing. But as we were leaving, I glanced over at the librarian and I saw the way that, and and he was with me at that point, but I saw the way that they were watching him and I saw their body language, facial expression, and the reality hit me like a punch in the guts. He was right. My internal dialogue resulted from not wanting it to be true, wanting to make it better, wanting to take away the pain with a different narrative. But it didn't help, because by writing it, I was not really hearing something that I really needed to hear. When someone shares something with us that is painful, our instinctive response is often to try and fix that pain. It's it's a natural thing. We don't want to feel pain. We don't want people we love to feel pain. And so we deflect it, minimize it, explain it. 
But when we respond in that way, we don't actually fix the pain. We just isolate the person who is feeling it even further. And we leave them alone to deal with it. When someone shares something painful with us, they don't need a band-aid. They need connection. And the words of Brene Brown, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. This is something that Jesus clearly understood. When we fail to hear someone's pain continually over time, it erodes trust in that relationship. And soon enough, it won't be the one thing that you are not connecting over. It'll be everything. Listening is more than just hearing another person's perspective. Listening decenters our own narrative. It centers someone else's experience. Listening recognizes that we don't know, see, or understand everything. James's words are as true today as they have ever been. Hurry up and listen. James's advice to this divided community is not just simply listen, but to listen swiftly and speak slowly. But swift and slow does not equal silence. It does mean listen first. Listen deeply. Listen openly. Listen humbly. Listen to understand. Then speak. And if appropriate, express anger. So slow is not Never. But how slow is slow? It's a hard question to answer, but one thing I am sure of, I'm pretty sure that slow to speak is definitely slower than waiting to the end of the sentence quite impatiently so that we can say what we want to say. But outside of that, determining how slow we need to be is determined by how well we've understood and heard the other person. Slow might mean minutes, or hours, or days, or weeks, or months, or years. Slow isn't determined by our impatience, but by how deeply we've been able to connect with someone's story. And when there is an imbalance of power in the relationship, the timing should always be determined by the person who is most vulnerable and has the least power. James also encourages the community to be slow to anger. Not to never anger, but to be slow. And like I said, this is a thing <laughs> I struggle with. Anger is not evil or wrong. Anger is an indicator. It tells us that something is wrong. And we need to listen to it, to assess it humbly and honestly as we are able to listen to what it's telling us. It might be saying, 10 years ago, someone betrayed me terribly and I have never gotten over it and I'm fearful of being hurt and betrayed again. Or it might be saying, I'm tired and hungry and I need sleep and food. 
true story. It might be saying, I feel hurt or disconnected or confused or frustrated or disappointed. Or it could be telling us that a situation is wrong, unjust, unfair or exploitative. There is a story told in the Gospels about Jesus coming into the temple courts to drive out moneylenders with a whip, turning over tables and shouting. And when you look at the story in isolation, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is a very sudden explosive outburst. But when we look at it in context, it's clear that Jesus was well aware of what was happening before he arrived in the temple. He's responding to an accumulating picture of those in positions of religious power who were exploiting those most vulnerable in the society in which he lived. In particular, they were financially exploiting the poor. And as Jesus reaches a breaking point, he acts prophetically in righteous anger. Anger is an indicator. Acting out of anger without investigating what it's telling us is unhealthy and destructive. But feeling the anger is not really the issue. The issue is, what do we do when it comes? What is your anger telling you? Is is it a reminder of a long-buried hurt, disappointment, fear, guilt? Is it recognizing injustice? There's a kid's book about emotions called Araha's Way, which talks about feelings as being energy in motion. Um, it's highly recommended. It's a kid's book, but highly recommended for humans of all ages, um, honestly. Anger is energy in us, and we need to listen to what it's telling us. If we cannot listen to what is happening within ourselves, we won't truly hear, hear others. We need to hurry to listen to ourselves so that we can listen to others well. In order to listen with humility and openness, we need to acknowledge and accept the feelings that we are feeling, own them, investigate them, and where appropriate, express them. Otherwise, they become, as Brett spoke about last week, an iceberg floating under the surface of the water. Swift and slow does not mean silent. It means listen first to ourselves, to others. Looking into the mirror and genuinely seeing ourselves can be agonizing. It's hard to face our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. It's embarrassing, shameful. Of course we want to look away. We want to forget. But God doesn't want us to look so that we feel bad and disappear into a black hole of shame. God wants us to look so that we can be made whole. A fully integrated self. One person, mind, body, thoughts and actions, words and deeds, perfect intarsia, each thread or block of collar woven into a unified pattern. 
God wants us to be fully integrated humans who are one body, not a people at war with one another, but fighting for one another, bringing out the best in one another, hurrying to listen, slowing down to speak, celebrating one another's wins, grieving one another's losses, amplifying each other's voices, going deeper within ourselves to build richer relationships with those around us, being transformed together by the word of truth planted in each one of us.